Insurance is the last piece. You've got to start with the risk profile and then the controls and then look at what you want to, uh, what sort of risk you can tolerate. Welcome to the business behind your business. Conversations to help your business grow and thrive. Hi, I'm Paul Sweeney, founder of Predium Solutions, chartered accountants and certified business advisors, hosting the business behind your business. So welcome to the business behind your business. And today I'm joined by Luke Icavelli from Unitech IT Solutions. And with us is also is David Ferris from Develcorp uh, Insurance Brokers. And we're continuing our discussion on cybersecurity and how it affects small, medium businesses particularly. So if you've missed the, the last two episodes on where we've talked about cybersecurity, we've, we've gone through what it actually is and, and, and Luke's discussed some strategy on that. So if you've missed those two episodes, I encourage you to go back and look at those or hear, listen to those. So go to the businessbehindyourbusiness.com uh, website and, and catch those two uh, recordings with Luke. And just make sure that you follow us on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss any future episodes. So Luke, David, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, look, cybersecurity, we've, we've talked about what it is and, and some strategy from a, 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 an operational side, from the IT side, but this whole idea of cyber cyber insurance is, well, is it really a new concept, David? Well, I, I guess you know, it has been evolving exponentially uh, probably over the last three three years or so as the the increase in in you know, impacts to businesses um, has been increasing. So, you know, the what used to happen in the past, the big mega companies were the ones that were being hacked uh, and they had teams of, of um, you know, cyber loss control staff trying to pre- prevent penetrations, trying to design good security. And, you know, the big corporates pretty well did a, a, a strong job on that. And so the cyber criminals started moving down where the security was less starting to moving into large enterprise and then into small enterprise where the um, certainly the systems weren't as robust and they were able to get, instead of one thumping big uh, ransom amount, they could go for lots and lots of businesses for small amounts. And so that proved to be successful. And so they've spread their wings further into businesses, uh, all size businesses down into small retails where there's a lot of vulnerabilities and people aren't properly um, implementing good cyber security. Mm-hmm. And that's right. And Luke, we talked about how um, cyber cyber criminals run this as a business and um, uh, spread the net widely, hoping to catch just a few people, uh, but they're quite successful in achieving that. Yeah, it's not personal. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> you're just a computer to them. They don't care. <laughs> yeah, look, and, 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 and rightfully so, as David pointed out, um, you know, uh, Small to medium business spends a lot less on cybersecurity, or the statistics show that they spend a lot less on cybersecurity than those of the big players. Um, and so, as a result, they're far more vulnerable. But that, that also ties in very much with businesses' push towards cloud uh, and more sort of online based services, uh, which allows the, the criminals a much bigger, cyber criminals a much bigger platform uh, and different ways to get in. Mm-hmm. Great. And so, David, is cyber insurance part of a standard coverage, insurance coverage for a business owner? Look, I guess as the risk profile has evolved, um, there have been 
ways of initially there were little inclusions of some token cyber covers available in some of the management liability suites of policies but yeah it's it's in the last sort of three to four years standalone dedicated tailored cyber insurance programs um, have been created and um, as a broker that's the sort of uh, product that we try to align our clients with because it's specifically targeted to deliver a, a, a cyber solution for clients with a cyber risk exposure. Mm, okay. So what sort of things are covered under a cyber insurance policy? Well, um, just to go back a little bit, I mean, you've, got, you've spoken about the cyber security, which is an imperative. So cyber security, it's, it's identified as a risk to a business. It's just one of the many risk profiles in a business. And so if you think of it similar to, say, um, uh, property insurance, you fill out a proposal for property insurance, depending on the level of how how adequate your construction is and your protection and your security, that impacts impacts your premium. And in fact, some instances, if you've got a high-risk business in a a really poorly constructed, poorly protected uh, environment, you will not qualify for insurance. So similar to cyber risk, if your cyber risk profile is such that you haven't put controls in place, then the insurance company is saying, don't rely on me to be your only form of risk management. You need a a minimum set of controls in place for your risk profile to enable them to feel comfortable providing um, insurance um, over the the top of that. So some of the, the, the coverage types that, you can see a policy respond to is the critical things of like uh, that cyber event uh, response cost. Straight away, uh, when there is a need for a response, there could be a denial of access uh, to your systems. So there are costs, IT forensics, whether they're from uh, specialists or from your IT provider, those straight up costs that need to uh, respond expeditiously to resolve the problem, either prevent it uh, spreading further or to quarantine it to a, to, to a local. So it's those costs, plus the cost to extract the virus or the malware, and then customer notifications just to say, hey, guys, let you know, you know we've had a breach and there's a potential risk or exposure. It's those sort of costs. And then also you might have public relations costs because depending on the profile of your business, you might have to defend yourself from you know, your brand, defend your brand if, if there's a reputational risk at stake. So that's all under the category of immediate event response costs. And then you talk about loss to your business. Well, okay, did you actually suffer a physical loss? Are you losing business because you can't get access to your systems? You know, are there other impacts to the business, such as you might be using programmable logical controlled machinery and you just can't make anything anymore because the system's in shutdown? So all these sort of costs to your business, your own business costs. And then there's the contingent BI costs. You, your clients might suffer losses as a result. Of, uh, of, of your outage. And then there's other losses to others, your clients, customers, anyone in your contact base, because your system might be actually sending out malicious software from your contact list, uh, and they might hold you liable for that. So there's those liability impact costs as well. Um, and then there's other things such as criminal financial losses, you know, where it is an intentional, whether it's using an employee or just an external, and there's actually no physical loss, it's your system has been used to create a financial loss to either your business or the third parties. So it's it's quite a the, the, the policies have have grown to meet greater needs, um, and they're an extremely valuable policy coverage to have in your arsenal against uh, a business risk.
Mm. So there's quite an extensive range of uh, risks that it covers, or, or, or I won't say potentially, yeah, potentially covers. Um, but again, we're coming back to this whole idea of how do we prevent and, and minimise mm. that risk, and this is where your IT strategy and working with your IT professional really helps. But just going back to the process of applying for insurance, mm-hmm. you mentioned that there is an obligation for the business owner to, to have a strategy in place and have uh, protections and, and you know, antivirus and those things in place. I know we're not, when we implemented cyber security or cyber insurance for our, our business, um, just filling out the application form and making those assertions that we actually have these processes in place. Um, the first thing I had to do was actually contact our IT people. <laughs> uh, so I think, Luke, you've got a few phone calls from me. So how do I fill this form out? What do I answer? Yeah. Yeah. Look, from our perspective, I guess, um, you know, not only is it a part of our responsibility to be assisting the clients with obviously implementing those strategies, but more and more often we are getting asked to fill in or assist in filling in those parts of the application forms that cover the section regarding the IT, because David mentioned a wide range of different uh, areas and, and, and covers that cybersecurity policies uh, protect. From the IT technical side, you know, we're asked to help clients fill in, you know, their backup procedures, what they have in place, what is some of their business continuity, you know, measures, all these sorts of things from a technology perspective that go into that document that then gets fed back to the insurance you know, uh, the, the insurance provider to, to qualify whether or not they can get the cover or not. So, yeah, we certainly assist in that, in that aspect as well. Because there's so many risk variables depending upon your particular occupancy and the size of your business and the way you operate, whether you're online or, or, or not, numbers of employees, whether employees are working remotely or in, a, in an office, you know, are you conducting, you know, uh, online sales using your own portal or bank portals? Uh, do you actually comply with you know the requirements of dealing with um you know, other people's uh private and confidential information so that these are risk profiles an insurer needs to interrogate to determine whether one the controls are adequate and then two what's the price of that residual risk that they're prepared to offer hmm. so it seems quite complicated for a lot of business owners about what what they should actually be covered for and, and you know, what systems they do have in place. So I'm guessing that you wouldn't recommend just filling this in yourself and just picking uh, the, the most popular one off the internet for coverage in, in this area. Uh, look, I guess from, a, from an enterprise perspective, we'd be encouraging uh, as a professional risk and insurance broking business that you lean into your risk and insurance professional, call your broker and say, hey, I'm curious about this. They should be speaking to you about it already as part of their diagnosis of risks in your business. But the idea is that they will then help you to understand the potential exposures. And then yet insurers are very, very hungry for information and they all have very prescriptive uh, proposal forms or declarations, questionnaires that need to be completed. And then that just becomes a guide to further questions that need to be drilled in to help quarantine your unique risk profile that the insurer is going to have to price against. And so, yeah, quite often the IT specialists are required to help a client uh, because a, a client will outsource all their IT to, the, to, 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 to them to say, look, I just want to make sure you do this 
properly and so I don't want to understand it I'm outsourcing you to make sure you do that and so they don't actually have a comprehensive understanding of their own cyber risk risk management processes and protocols so that's where companies like Luke uh, are, are, are an imperative to filling out these forms. So, so Luke, on just helping on that process of identifying your strategy or what you've actually got in place, would you actually go into a business and, and do a review of their um, cyber protection, what, what they've got in place, and then provide recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, for, for a client that is, you know, uh, sort of new to us, uh, we would certainly do that for them or can do that upon request, absolutely. So what we would do then is do, uh, you know, a strategic audit of their infrastructure, their processes, you know, better understand how they operate from a technology perspective. Um, in many cases, some businesses, uh, you know, depending on the, uh, you know, the insurance and the type of cover that they're looking to get, but also if they have people that they have to answer to, boards and, and you know, shareholders, etc., they may even require things such as, you know, uh, penetration tests or, you know, uh, actually getting experts to attempt to hack into the network, not to, to sort of, you know, hold anyone accountable, but to really just expose where there might be some vulnerability. So the important thing to understand is that, you know, your cybersecurity policy, your backup policy, your DR plan, your business continuity plan, all those plans are constantly evolving. They're constantly changing based on the, the you know, items that you're implementing as a business, but also as how your business evolves. So they too have to be reviewed on a regular basis and made changes to. The penetration tests give a good understanding of, look, this is where some of the vulnerabilities are. These are the steps that can be taken to, to eliminate those. And quite often you will find that some of those uh, tests are actually very important uh, when it comes to that, you know, insurance piece as well. But yes, we, we can provide that that sort of level of service. Absolutely. Mm. And so, David, would there be any benefit in terms of cost of the policy by having your um, systems reviewed and upgraded? Oh, absolutely. Because what we're doing is, uh, it's 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 a risk profiling undertaking, and and so the insurer is is going. If the controls aren't adequate you mightn't even be entitled to security cover. So it's it's being able to match how much of the risk you have as a business, how much that you've got control in place to protect that, and then what you're prepared to manage yourself, and then what you can't manage on your own balance sheet, you then transfer off to insurance. So the insurance is the last piece. You've got to start with the risk profile and then the controls and look at what you want to, uh, what sort of risk you can tolerate. And, and so... All this comes down to identifying the exposure of what information do you have that's of interest to somebody? And you sort of think, oh, we don't have any banking details. It's not about that just. It's about, the, and a lot of the pricing comes down to, well, what are the number of records? And a record can be a client record, a staff record, a supplier record, a contractor record. And then what information is contained on that record? So it's how many records are there? And then what's the information that that record is made up of? Because at the end of the day, that becomes what's of intrinsic value to an external party. And so you might think, oh, I'm just a, you know, a, a humble um, you know, retail outlet that I don't even sell online. But at the end of the day, if you've got any data that could be of value to somebody else, whether it's a competitor or even just somebody that you know, wants to get access to create fake invoices, you know, 
that's the exposure that um, that the insurers are looking to see. Okay, is it valuable information? And that's why, when you look at the value of information, there's there's mandatory reporting under the Australian Office of Information Commissioner. Uh, these notifiable data breaches reports that have been in effect since February 18, and every quarter they put out a report, an update, and you know the the high risk sectors of the market uh, continue to be the health service providers because they've got a lot of data on people that people want. Then you talk about the financial institutions and then education, legal and management. So they're the ones being hit continually. But it doesn't mean that you in a small business don't have a similar exposure because once you're without your system and there might be no extraction of data, it's just a nuisance, denial of access, and they want a ransom paid, which insurance policies cover, um, it's a nuisance. You try and be without your system these days for a couple, for a couple of days when there's so much in, enhanced dependence being forced on us to have systems and then we're dependent on them and then when without them, you're crippled as a business. Uh, sorry, I just want to, just to add to that, uh, uh, David, the fact that a lot of small businesses don't realise that as they start to use more and more cloud systems, um, you know, yeah. they might be buying cloud systems off the internet, you know, small um, per user, cheap per user cloud systems. That data does not necessarily mean that it's stored in Australia. And, and, and the common misconception is that, well, it's my data, it's my account. But actually, if you check the, the details regarding the privacy laws, if the data is stored in infrastructure or servers or, uh, you know, data centres that are outside of Australia, they're actually covered by the privacy laws of the country in which those servers are actually stored. For example, if you buy, if you buy, if you buy Microsoft 365 from an Australian reseller, it's stored in Australian data centres. But that doesn't always apply to every single cloud piece of software that, that you know. So mm. if it's stored somewhere else, that those countries' privacy laws applies to your data stored in their servers in their location. So it just makes the clients think a little bit more about, well, hang on, where is my data? What programs are we using? And where is my data actually being stored? And it's your Australian business which has the uh, responsibility for privacy and confidentiality. Not the not the the storer, it's used the business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just on on that, we we're talking about the location of data. Uh, it's becoming more and more common to use virtual assistants or outsourcing services in another country. So you're providing somebody in another country access to your data that you're responsible for, and that might have all your customer details in there. Uh, how does that affect our positioning with um, cyber risk? Well, from a, from an insurance point of view. It's critical that we, the, the client, engage with with the um, IT professional to actually understand where is the data housed, who has access to it, and what controls are in place. Because the insurance company is going to say, "You're if," and I'll pick you know, India, Pakistan, Philippines. You know, their privacy rules are different, but in Australia, your business, it's your obligations in Australian rules and laws. Uh, for for the requirement for that protection of that data, mm. all right. Mm. So, yeah, the, the the risk could be that you know the security controls in the data centre are far more compromised than what exists to, to to businesses here in Australia. And so, when you choose a third party overseas, it's imperative that there are many Australian companies based in those countries over there now creating virtual centres operating as if it was in Australia 
yep. as opposed to just a, a center which you know people can be answering the phone for five different companies during the day and and from, from an IT perspective um, you know if your if your systems are stored in Australia and you're you know hiring someone virtually from another country they're gaining access to your systems it's your you know you're responsible for that and it's control within Australia if you're using a virtual assistant who's gaining access to your systems which are located in a server in the United States for example it's a, it becomes a different different ball game and there are measures in place like there are a number of add-ons for example within 365 such as uh, you know privilege access and you know uh, customer lockbox different add-ons that can actually lock things down to sort of say well look I do use a virtual assistant but he or she only has access to these three files for two hours a day and that's it after that they're locked out so there are measures that you can put in place to control that but ultimately it's around having that discussion of what what systems are we using where are they located where are they stored and do we have control of them especially from a privacy perspective thanks david and luke that's uh, great information you've shared with us we're going to explore this uh in our next episode we're going to actually look at the process of what happens when you need to make a claim so in the meantime david what is the best way for our listeners to get in contact with you um just uh contact you know, well, the, the website all the w's riskybusiness.com.au and i can be accessed through there Great. And Luke, uh, how do our listeners contact you if they need that strategic review of their IT exposure? Yeah, absolutely. So they can visit our website, which is unitech.com.au, uh, or they can give us a call on one three hundred IT help. Uh, we'll be happy to have that chat with them and and um, and guide them in the right direction. Great, fantastic. We'll put links to those contact details in the show notes. And thank you. Luke and David for your time again today. It has been fantastic and a real eye-opener about some of the steps that need to be in place and some of the, the things that can actually be avoided by, by putting in a bit of work and, and getting your strategy uh, in place and, and, and reviewing it on a regular basis. So thank you for your time. I think it's been an absolutely great discussion and uh, I think everybody should be aware of what they need to do. Fantastic. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Paul. Good to see you, Luke. Thanks for listening. Do you have a question you'd like our team of experts to answer? If you do, send your question to podcast at thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com. To hear more from The Business Behind Your Business, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player. Or you can visit thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com website.